today on Ag News Daily. That crop was was pretty huge. And so you could see old crop beans, you know, remain under pressure to a certain extent if we break out of that recent range that we've seen. I think new crop, you know, perhaps if, if corn comes in larger than expected from an acreage standpoint, Good afternoon and happy Monday from the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. And Delaney, those folks that have been kind of trapped in the Suez Canal are having a happy Monday indeed. Yeah, they certainly are. I've seen a lot of uh, tweets and memes about their celebration. I guess they popped champagne bottles is what I read after they got the Suez Canal unstuck, but it is officially unstuck. It does sound like Ashton, however, that it was unstuck for a second. I guess wind, a big bunch of wind came back in, blew it back into stuck position, and then they had to wedge it out again. So really it took them two tries, it sounds like. Well, Delaney, I'm glad that they did finally get it unstuck because a lot of people I saw over the weekend were talking about how this could be a humanitarian issue at some point if they were stuck for too terribly long because these folks that are waiting to pass through in these ships could run out of fuel, they could run out of food and water. So I'm I'm really glad that it didn't take any time really at all to, I say no time, it was almost a week, but but still it could have taken a lot longer. So I'm glad they finally had that figured out. Yeah. And uh, social media has really loved all of the uh, memes and tweets and things that people are talking about. So it's been kind of funny, I guess, if you want, if you talk about geopolitical events, it's been a funny one to talk about. It certainly has been Delaney. Do you have any other funny news to talk about or should we go ahead and get serious here? Mm, I don't think I have any funny news, unfortunately, Ashton. What about you? Nothing funny, but I do have some good news that we can start out on for our soybean producers. The Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company has cited, or not cited, I should say they've teamed up. They've partnered with the United Soybean Board to do research, and they announced a multi-decade commitment by the tire manufacturer to source sustainably produced U.S. soybean oil and will phase out petroleum-derived oils from its products by 2040. And when we're talking about sustainability, you know, a lot right now going on in the ag industry is, you know, no-till and carbon credits and, um, you know, livestock, not so much about, you know, soybean oil or anything like that. So I'm glad that this has been in the news and that Goodyear is working to do something about it. The initial research led to the discovery that soybean oil could not only improve tire flexibility across temperatures, but also provide enhanced grip on road surfaces, making it an ideal choice for Goodyear's all-weather tire line. Goodyear commercialized this innovation in its Assurance Weather-Ready Consumer Tire Line in 2017, the Eagle Enforcer All-Weather in 2018, and the Eagle Exhilarate in 2019, and announced the Goodyear Assurance Comfort Drive in 2020. And building up on that success, Goodyear announced that this new sustainable soybean oil procurement policy that reflects their commitment to the responsible sourcing of raw materials. So I'm really excited about this. Definitely some good news, a new market there for our soybean producers. And, you know, I I didn't know that soybean oil could be used in tires. I think that that's quite interesting how they were able to do that research. Yeah, there's a lot of things that commodity crops can be used for 
I think, oh man, I'm not going to get the number right. But, you know, there's always like the fun ag facts that like Farm Bureau or 4-H or whoever will share during, especially during like National Ag Week and whatnot. I think that corn and soybeans, like, you know, their byproducts or the commodity itself could produce like three, 400 different products each. Yeah, it's just absolutely insane. I know what you're talking about, Delaney, and I can picture like a little fact sheet in my head, but like you, I just can't pull that number out. (laughs) I wish I could. Usually that type of thing, I like remembering numbers like that, but that one's not coming to my mind right now. But uh, a little bit more serious news, Ashton, talking about African swine fever. We're going to get Angie Setzer's take on this all here in just a little bit, but two pieces of news here really related to African swine fever. The first is that we saw another, this one wasn't necessarily a large number of hogs confirmed, but about 61 head of hogs were confirmed to have African swine fever. And so China is still continuing to report new cases. Of course, those 61 head were cold and gotten uh, hopefully rid of. Hopefully that doesn't spread to other hogs. But this does pose the question, are we continuing to see demand for feed sources, feedstuffs with China rebuilding their hog herd, especially as we see the South American crop coming online? And so Bloomberg had an interesting article today showing that there are signs of still record Chinese demand for American soybeans and corn, but they're pointing that this demand could have peaked as we continue to watch the African swine fever continue to impact China. And so really we've been watching, you know, demand headed to China. They're posing that it's really peaked here and started to fall since about the beginning of March. And so they're continuing to grow their stockpile. They're continuing to grow their hog herd, but they're also continuing to do business with other countries, Ashton. So we're going to continue to watch this story. It's definitely going to be one. I think that's important to watch here moving forward. I am not positive where Brazil sits as of this week. But as of last week, Brazil was about 82% done with their winter corn, their safrina corn crop planting. Harvest-wise, I think they were somewhere somewhere around 55 to 60% complete harvesting. So they're by no means done, but there is definitely a good chunk of that crop hitting the pipelines, being able to be bought up now by global trading partners, Ashton. Well, Delaney, one thing that I have been watching recently is the moves going on in legislation concerning the cattle industry. And this bill that I'm about to talk about follows the Cattle Market Transparency Act of 2021 introduced earlier this session by Nebraska Senator Deb Fisher. So there's quite a bit that's been going on in terms of the cattle industry in Congress. But Last week, bipartisan legislation was introduced into the Senate on Wednesday that would require a minimum 50% of a meatpacker's weekly volume to be purchased on the open or spot market. The legislation is often referred to as the 5014 bill, also noting the 14-day window for delivery of the cattle. Senator Chuck Grassley and John Tester announced the legislation to foster efficient markets while increasing competition and transparency among meatpackers who purchase livestock directly from independent producers. 
And Grassley was quoted as saying, the lack of transparency in cattle pricing isn't a new problem. Unfortunately, the COVID-19 pandemic has only highlighted the need for additional price transparency measures to ensure producers are getting a fair price for the hard work of raising cattle. Like I said, this followed the Cattle Market Transparency Act that was put in place by Senator Fisher. So we're just going to wait and see if, you know, either of these bills actually make it and, you know, push through. But, you know, lots of support, it sounds like, for the cattle industry and especially the lack of transparency and cattle pricing. Just trying to find some answers on that. And this has been a repeated issue like uh, Chuck Grassley said here, COVID the, the COVID-19 pandemic has really just highlighted that issue. And so it sounds like this legislation is trying to help get to the bottom of that. Absolutely, Ashton. Good thing you're keeping an eye on that, because I do think that that's going to be continued issues that we'll see being taken up by this administration and folks in Congress. But I have just one piece of news here, not dealing with the U.S., but turning our attention to Russia, as you and I have talked about on the podcast a lot, Ashton, Russia did put in place some wheat export taxes to tax the country to help with some uh, domestic food inflation prices. So, so far, we've seen Russian wheat exports increased 24 percent so far this season as of March 25th. And that has really been the opposite effect of what they had intended for this wheat tax to do. They wanted to tamp down wheat exports, but it appears that farmers have remained undeterred by the Russian government's attempt to crack down on the crop exports to curb food inflation. They said despite the taxes putting a hamper on farmers' profit margins, producers are still hesitant to avoid changing their spring plans due to having bought seed and fertilizer and other input costs before the government imposed this export tax. So analysts are still expecting a pretty much record wheat crop here of about 80 million tons, which would be one of the country's largest ever wheat wheat harvests. However, with this tax in place, winter wheat crop expectations for autumn planting could shrink. But so far, all in all, this export tax has not done a lot to help Russia. And definitely, if we do see record harvest could see a lot of that wheat flooding to the pipeline here within the next few months, Ashton. Well, Delaney, I am all out of news today. It seems like all the news stories were really about the Suez Canal. So I am ready to hop into markets if you are. I certainly am as well. And today was kind of an ugly day when markets first opened. We saw corn and soybeans down pretty heavily, but, but grains thankfully were able to recover some of the losses that they saw early on in this trading session. Starting things off here with the May corn contract down five and three quarters cents today to close at 546 and three quarters. The D's down five and a quarter to close at 461 and a quarter. In the soybean pits, the May contract today down seven and a half cents to close at 1393. The November down two and three quarters cents to close at 12.04 and a half. Wheat higher today as the May contract added three and a half cents to close at 6.16 and three quarters. The July up two and three quarters cents to close at 6.12 on the nose. And in livestock today, that had they had a pretty healthy day as both the live cattle and feeder cattle markets climbed higher. April today, 87 and a half cents 
to close at 120.97 and a half. The June up 87 and a half cents to close at 122.65. In feeder cattle today, the April contract added $1.95 to close at 147.07. The April up 232 and a half to close at 152.20. And although lean hogs were in the red today, we still saw all markets here close above $100. April up 40, excuse me. Down 42 and a half cents to close at $100.37 and a half cents. The June down 37 and a half to close at 105.22 and a half. And wrapping up our markets with the class three dairy milk futures, April up six cents today to close at 17.14. The May down six cents to close at 17.46. Without further ado, Ashton, let's kick it over to our conversation with Angie Setzer to talk markets today. Well, for today's hashtag Market Monday episode, joined today by Angie Setzer at Goddess of Grain on Twitter, who's also the vice president with Citizens Elevator. Angie, good to have you on today. Thanks for having me. Angie, there's certainly no shortage of things to talk about this week. We've got a big report coming out on two big reports, I should say, coming out on Wednesday. I've seen some interesting news on exports and the potential to see that slow down here to China, South American weather. Where should we start? Let's start uh, talking about your estimates for Wednesday's report. Is it going to be a market mover? Oh, it's for sure going to be a market mover. The million dollar question, obviously, is which direction do we go? I mean, right now, we're really just kind of treading water. I mean, today seemed like a lot of activity. I was actually kind of surprised ahead of the report with soybeans really kind of testing um, and seemingly holding... Uh, that 1390 support that's been so important in the May. I mean, we're settling right at that level, but we're much lower at one point. You know, corn was off a bit. Wheat tested that $6 mark there on the July and managed to bounce back, you know, actually closing up a couple cents today. So for what I thought was going to be an exceptionally boring first couple days of trade, I'm actually surprised that we saw the activity that we did. But I think, you know, to a certain extent, there's a lot of, um, you know, trying to get organized uh, traders, trying to decide which um, which uh, position is a good one and which position is a bad one. You know, we obviously have some of that outside market concern too with what's taking place you know, with some of those hedge funds or one of those, that large hedge fund being liquidated and impacting several, you know, large banks. And, and so a lot of folks are, are aware of that and aware of what Wednesday brings. And, and so, you know, here we are, it's, it's going to be an adventure over the next uh, couple days. And, reality is I think the planted acreage number, a lot of folks are focusing on that because I think that's the easy number to look at and try to to think about, you know, from an overall standpoint, is it 93 million of corn? Is it 89 million of beans? You know, but I think quarterly stocks is really where the important number lies, you know, in the sense that that is going to give us a better indication as to, you know, what actually is out there? Do we have perhaps more corn on hand than we thought? Do we have more beans on hand uh, than we thought? You know, or the flip side, do we have less? You know, and so this is going to kind of give us a little bit of confirmation as to what's sitting out there, you know, and what's been used in in that ever so famous USDA residual category, you know, and and so this quarterly stock number is really going to give us, you know, an indication of what's taking place there through the second quarter of the marketing year. But Angie, once we get through Wednesday's report, what do you expect us to see as far as price action goes? Are we going to chop sideways here in the grain markets until we get some sort of confirmation about demand or weather or something else to push us one way or the other? I think 
you know, I really think it just depends. If the numbers come in as expected, then yeah, I think from an overall standpoint, I think you're going to see everything just kind of stay in the range that it's been. You know, beans seem pretty comfortable in this sort of 1390 to 1425 sort of range. Corn seems really comfortable in this 535 to 560 sort of range. You know, and wheat's really still trying to establish where, you know, what it wants to be when it grows up. Now, wheat obviously is a little bit further along in the marketing year. You know, a lot of folks tend to forget that for wheat here, we're there's only two months left in the in the marketing year. So we kind of know what we're looking at. We're ever so close to having that new crop production, you know, with the rainfall that we've seen in the southern plains and the the weather conditions that we're seeing, you know, in the Black Sea region and some of those things you know, that crop's getting larger. And really the only thing that's kind of holding on to wheat or keeping wheat elevated is the the wheat corn spread as a whole. And so, yeah, I think if the report comes in as anticipated without any major surprises, we'll probably see this sort of sideways trend remain, you know, at the very least in old crop corn as we watch what's taking place from a Chinese uh, shipment standpoint. Soybeans may be under pressure or continue to be under pressure even if the report comes in as expected. Talking old crops specifically, because of the amount of Brazilian and, and Argentina are, uh, beans that are working their way, the South American bean crop, you know, is, is really large, even though we've spent much of the last four months talking about how it's been irreparably damaged, you know, we still are managing to see, you know, a lot of the private estimates out of Brazil staying in that 133 million metric ton range based on their shipment pace and things of that nature, the, their market structure, you know, on the domestic side that crop was was pretty huge. And so you could see old crop beans, you know, remain under pressure to a certain extent if we break out of that recent range that we've seen. I think new crop, you know, perhaps if, if corn comes in larger than expected from an acreage standpoint, you could see some shifting there. Um, I think new crop soybeans are probably going to stay supported as a whole because we've got to make sure that we ensure that they get planted. Not only does the first round get planted, but we really want to make sure that folks are putting in as many double crop beans as they can, you know, in these areas that have wheat. So pricing wise uh, for the next few weeks after Wednesday, you know, obviously is going to depend on, on the numbers. If the horn number comes in lower than expected or something of that nature, it it could be explosive. Um, But really, I think we're going to be watching for weather issues and watching what happens with the Sabrina crop in Brazil. I mean, we're not going to be short for news as a whole, um, but right now everyone's just kind of waiting to see what the USDA is going to tell us. And and then hopefully that'll help uh, give us an idea on direction. Angie, you mentioned a lot of things there. I want to unpack a few more of them a little bit more. Let's go back. You mentioned the corn wheat spread. Talk to me a little bit more about that. Yeah, the corn wheat spread, you know, I grew up in a in a world where the corn wheat spread was thought to be about a buck 35. So I'm talking Chicago wheat, you know, in particular, and, and that's wheat should be overvalued versus corn because of the the quality that it brings to your your feed rations and things of that nature. And so, you know, I, I, uh, I say I grew up in a world, but when I started, I mean, that was almost biblical in a sense where you know, you never really saw corn and wheat trade much away from, you know, that dollar thirty-five, And then uh, it, it really got out of whack when when wheat uh, went much higher than what corn did. And, and so it it went well beyond that with with wheat trading a premium to corn. And then not long after that, we saw corn go premium to wheat, which a lot of folks had said they never thought they would see. And, and we saw, you know, saw, not only did we see it, it was it was pretty epic when it happened. And so for the most part, you tend to watch and see what that spread's doing, because if wheat starts to get cheaper versus corn, 
too cheap, you know, you start to see corn feedings drop and wheat feedings increase. Now, of course, that's an issue where we saw that be an issue for wheat. It was a bullish wheat market um, mover this winter when you saw China really start to feed a bunch of wheat because it got cheaper than their, their corn prices domestically. And the same could happen here in the U.S., especially if we're, we were to see large crops come out, you know, this production season. You could see to where that would impact corn feedings, especially this summer um, across, you know, the southern plains. And so that could um, have an influence on on corn going forward. It also could have an influence on 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 wheat if we see it kind of stay to where corn continues to gain on on wheat there. And so like today. If you were to look at it right now, it's about a 70 cent spread. Like I said, typically it trades around $1.35 or so. Um, and we saw it actually move a dime today um, with wheat trading up three cents and corn trading down almost seven. And so I think you could almost say that today was a little bit of a corn wheat spread if you wanted, or at least they would have back in the, the olden days. I think Doug Jackson would have contributed <laughs> today's move um, to, to more spread trade than anything. Um, but yeah, so that's something we're definitely watching, especially if that Southern Plains crop remains large, you know, that, that could have some big influence if corn stays stout from a pricing standpoint and wheat were to back off and you were to see that spread, you know, get closer to, to parity or even see corn where it got, you know, more expensive from a cash standpoint than what wheat would be, then you would definitely see that start to influence how much corn we're actually feeding here, not only domestically, but globally as well. Yeah. And you mentioned there, Angie, that China had been using wheat to some mm-hmm. extent as um, as a feed source for their quickly regrowing hog herd. But I was just looking at a chart today on Bloomberg that was looking at the inspection reports for both corn, excuse me, for both corn and soybeans here since uh, about September of 2020, and we have started to see a pretty big decline when it comes to corn weekly export inspections as well as soybeans. Are we starting to see I guess what's the factor playing in here? Is it South American harvest finally coming on the pipeline? Is it just the fact that China is able to swap out corn and soybeans, replace it with wheat or something else? Or what's going on there? Why are we seeing these weekly export inspection numbers drop off so quickly? The slowdown in soybeans. I mean, for one, we're kind of running on fumes. Yeah. And the Brazilian crop has gotten um, so much more available and so much cheaper. Um, and so that's really what you're seeing um, there as a whole is that the the Chinese you know, basically exhausted um, their ability to export out of us. PNW is gone, no bid. You know, SIF is, is Gulf is basically also, you know, no bid. There's really no way to, to source a lot of those beans. The majority of what we need to ship has been shipped. And Brazil is sitting out there, you know, much, much cheaper um, than what we're offering from a U.S. standpoint right now. Um, just, you know, face to face. One thing that's really interesting that we are seeing as well is that the Brazilian buying interest. Now, right now they have a, a, a record lineup for March shipments. It looks like April will also be a record. But once you get into the summer months, a lot of folks are starting to get concerned about what we are seeing, you know, with the, the buying interest out of China from Brazil. Um, that actually has slowed down. I think they bought a handful of cargoes. Last week, there's some stuff they need to pick at for May shipments. Um, but as a whole, you know, if you look at port stocks and what's taking place from a, a crush margin standpoint and, and things of that nature, you know, China is seeing a bit of a, a slowdown or a shift in what you were seeing, you know, with their margins, with their demand, um, you know, versus the beginning of the year. 
you know, it was it was basically the Chinese were insatiable. They didn't care what they had to pay. That was one of the things that a lot of folks commented on is is that even when basis values skyrocketed and freight values were higher, um, the Chinese were in and, and still standing on it to buy, you know, again and again and again. And so it appears as though they've covered themselves relatively decently. Like I said, their port stocks are 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 relatively large, comparatively speaking. Um, their meal stocks at ports are relatively large, comparatively speaking. You know, their crush margins are starting to back off quite a bit. There's some questions about what the demand looks like with ASF, you know, and so there's some really um, interesting and important, you know, long-term ramifications, you could say, if we were to see, you know, maybe this is just a breather, maybe it's just a break. Um, and that's what a lot of people are watching right now. A lot of traders, you've seen their corn prices back off domestically as well, you know, and so uh, in the meantime, they've managed to really kind of raise freight on themselves as, as, as well. You know, your ocean freight is is through the roof. And so the cost uh, effectiveness of some of this stuff is starting to kind of um, disappear you know, so to speak. And so it's going to be really interesting to watch today. On In the corn inspections number, you know, we saw uh, about 10.8 million bushels uh, loaded to go to China, which is great versus a year ago. It's down versus last week. A week ago, they were 16 million. And then the two, three weeks prior, they were about 13.6, 13.7, and I believe 14.2. Um, and so right now with them owning almost a billion bushel of corn, you know, we really do need to see them pick up because at this rate, you know, we're basically looking at a year and a half before they were to, to ship everything. Um, so it's going to start to generate some questions. A lot of folks are pretty adamant that the USDA has to increase these exports and that this this quarterly stocks number is going to show that we're missing a lot of bushels, you know, thanks to this large export program. But I really don't know if, if that's going to be the case or if they have to yet. I mean, obviously, inspection numbers are are meeting and slightly exceeding what they need to be in order to achieve what the USDA is projecting. But we're not in line to really kind of do that whole, you know, conversation of 2.9 billion bushels worth of exports or something of that nature. You know, we're just not there yet from a shipment standpoint. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Angie, I want to switch tracks here a little bit. I know your specialty is definitely grains, but we've got to talk a little bit of livestock today. Explosive moves higher in uh, feeder cattle. We saw a pretty good bit put on here in live cattle as well. What's pushing these markets higher? Oh, yeah, just your demand, just a a continuation of ideas over demand. You know, not only are we getting your typical summer demand here um, when it comes to to the cattle market, I mean, obviously, we're working our way into grilling season. The hog market's typically stronger as we work our way into Easter, thanks to hams. Hams were up big as well. And then there's a lot of conversation. I think the inflationary trade was slow to get to, to the meat sector. Right. We didn't really see meats start to take off until only recently, or it feels recently, I guess, you know, time flies and you're having fun. So it's been a little bit of time, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of behind on that. There's an idea, you know, and so we have this kind of counterintuitive or sort of, uh, um, there's two ways of looking at things. And it was kind of based a little bit on what I had just said there about China and ASF. And so there's a lot of folks out there. Dennis Smith is is fantastic. If you're not reading his daily insight, you're missing out. You know what I mean? Not from ADM, but he's exceptionally bullish because he believes, um, you know, what we're running into is is what we were worried about here two, three years ago with the ASF thing and, you know, all of that impact on overall demand, you know, and the idea that we were going to see these big exports of, of hogs, right? And, and pork. And we never really saw them, but now we're kind of in a situation here where we've seen 
Um, you know, the frozen inventory numbers fall off. Um, so we don't have that stockpile to tap into like we used to. Um, and so there's just a lot of things that are taking place in the meat sector that, you know, are exciting. So like I said, not only are we seeing some sort of inflationary trade, but we also have people traveling again. We have restaurants open. We have grilling season firing up, you know, a little bit earlier this year than typical, thanks to above normal temperatures across, you know, a lot of the 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 area that we've seen. And so um, there's a lot of exciting news on, on the livestock side of things. And, and so here we are. Here we are. And Angie, I've got one final question before I let you go. I know you guys love it when we get, when you get asked us specific price questions, but I've got to ask it. June lean hogs has traded and stayed above a hundred dollars. Now, how much steam is going to be left in this tank? How high are we going to get? Oh goodness. I mean, when it comes down to it, I, I always get a little bit nervous about what, uh, what you're going to see there. I mean, we've, we've traded above it. We've stayed above it. We had really solid hogs and pigs number. And we are starting to see a little bit of sell-off from that here today. And I think so. I think you've probably seen, like I said, I mean, that inflationary trade is, has been a big one. A lot of folks have dove in, you know, the last time I really spent a lot of time looking at hogs, you know, it seemed like we were uh, way, 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 way below this number. And we had no idea uh, when we were going to get back to, to where something was decent. And so from an overall standpoint, you know, looking at a chart, and we're in uncharted territory here. This is the highest we've been in, in several years, you know, as a whole. And, and so, it, you know, if you wanted to look back and say, okay, well, in, you know, August of 2014, we traded to 133, you know, is that a possibility? I guess, uh, I guess it, it could be, you know, but it's almost like soybean oil to a certain extent. You know, you know that there's only a matter of time before all of the easy money has been made. And then it has to become a bit of a dogfight, so to speak. And so, you know, I'd be a little nervous that uh, you could see a sell-off, but from a fundamental standpoint here, you know, you're you're really seeing some some solid reason as to why. Like I said, the hogs and pig report was was quite bullish. A lot of folks are anticipating you're going to see, you know, some significant export business continuing going into to China. We're not really looking at a significant amount of of uh, inventory, you know, hanging out. Your cash index markets are trading higher. Um, you know, and so there's a lot of things that you're seeing that could really kind of support this um, market continuing to move higher. But from a seasonal standpoint, and yeah, I am a grains trader. I'm not a meats trader. But from a seasonal standpoint, it always feels like after Easter is when we start the hangover. And so I would be a little nervous, you know, carrying this through Easter, you know, just simply because it tends to be when you see the hams kind of peak out and then fall off of it. Fantastic, Angie. Well, thank you so much for coming on again today. Folks can find you at Goddess of Grain on Twitter, but how else can they connect with you if they want to give you a jingle and chat markets? Yeah, you can uh, email me at asetzer at citizenselevator.com. Fantastic, Angie. Well, thanks again for chatting markets today. Thanks for having me. Thanks again there to Angie Setzer for coming on and chatting markets with us. It's always good to hear her voice. I don't think we've had her on for a few weeks now, Delaney. So I think we've done a good job of mixing things up. But we are always trying to mix things up here on the Ag News Daily Podcast, talking all things ag, all things news. But tomorrow you can tune in to catch one of our Tech Tuesday episodes. So be sure to follow along with us at agnewsdaily.com. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.